Good morning. So um, I am comforted by the fact that there are uh, no real guidelines in Scripture that tells us what a sermon is supposed to look like. Which, yeah, uh-oh. Which means today is going to be a little different than what my norm is. So, uh, um, but don't panic. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we... We open ourselves to you right now. We, we want you. We want more of you. We want to know you more. We want your heart. We want your power in our lives. We, we want your unction. We want your comfort. We desire you. And so we're asking right now, Holy Spirit, come and minister in ways that only you can. Turn our hearts more and more toward the Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to share a story with you this morning um, that happened in the Hebrides, sometimes called the Hebridean Islands. Uh, it's a group of 60 plus islands just off the coast of, west coast of Scotland. If you see the little, uh, down in the corner, the, the, the little box there in the left-hand corner, um, that's the blow up of the, the whole thing, that little box. And so that's just off the coast of Scotland. Um, and you might be familiar, I'm actually surprised the number of people that are not familiar with this story because I think it's an amazing, amazing story. Um, but uh, uh, if you're familiar with it, I may share some details that you're not familiar with. But my goal is to kind of flesh out what we heard last week. If you remember last week, we talked about how the gifts of the Holy Spirit are connected to prayer. And so this morning, we're going to see that kind of lived out, if you will, and just to recap just a slight bit from last week, uh, I talked about the, the list of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10, and I said that is not necessarily a, a, a complete list of everything that the Holy Spirit does in and through us. I don't ever want to limit a limitless God, if you will, and I said if you really think about it, I define the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit as how the Holy Spirit works in and through his people to do things that we can't do on our own. So if you understand that, that's a, that, that list there in 1 Corinthians 12 is some of the primary things, I think, that, that the Holy Spirit does, but it, it may not be everything, and we might see some things in this story that might differ slightly from that list. So it was late in the 1940s, there's some discrepancy about exactly when, 48, 49, um, depending on which, which version you read, my guess is it was probably late 48 or early 49, and memories fade after a while, boy, I can relate to that, um, and it was on the, the Isle of Lewis, which is the very top island, the furthest north uh, in the, 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 the village of Barvis. Need that next slide, I think. Uh, uh, we're, we're already behind. Keep going, keep going. Right, one more. Right there, yes. That's modern-day Barvis. You can see it's not exactly your me major metropolitan area. Um, it was probably even different uh, 70 years ago, all right? Uh, very rural, not really populated all that greatly. So um, back then, two elderly Christian women were praying. Christine and Peggy Smith, they were 82 and 84-year-old sisters. I think we need the next slide. Um, and um, one of them was, uh, was seriously afflicted with arthritis throughout her whole body. The other one was blind. There's not a whole lot of physical activities that these two ladies could do, all right? But they could pray, and they did. 
And they had seen that the church that they had been a part of their entire lives was completely void of young people. There was not a single young man or young woman in the congregation. And that was a matter of serious concern for these ladies. And so they made it a matter of fervent prayer. And they based their prayer on Isaiah 44, 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And you're gonna hear at least part of that scripture come up again and again as I'm sharing this story. The Smith sisters knew within themselves that there should be young people in the congregation. And this scripture you know, spoke into that, your offspring, your descendants. And so they cried out to God, then they were, they were strengthened, they were empowered by his word to pray because they really believed this is what God was saying. So the two of them spent hour upon hour praying in their native Scottish Gaelic language for that situation. And you know, as I, as I pondered this story, I couldn't help but to think back to something that, that Daryl said a couple of weeks ago in, in our service. He said, we're pitching our tents on his promises. In other words, we're, we're camping out on what God said. There, there's a, a song that we used to do here decades ago, all through the day, all through the night, dwell in his promises. Hang out on his promises. Dwell there, live there, camp there, stay there. Know those promises and make that the truth in your life, if you will. That's what, what Christine and Peggy Smith did. They took God at his word and they prayed into that reality. So one night as they were praying, one of the women had a vision. I don't know if she was asking for a vision, if she was expecting a vision, but I do know that her praying regularly positioned her to hear from God. If you remember last week, I talked about that idea. As we are regularly in prayer, we are intentionally positioning, our, positioning ourselves to hear the voice of God. I quoted from Tim Keller who said, prayer tunes your heart to God. And it's true. And so she has this vision. And in the vision, she sees the, the church that has been, her family has been a part of for generations filling up with young people. And so obviously the two sisters are pretty excited about this prospect and they send word to the pastor that he, they would like him to come and visit. And so he does and when he comes, um, they tell him about the vision and they say, we believe you need to be prepared for revival, that it's coming. And so they said that they, they felt like he and others needed to pray uh, to get together and pray more fervently than they had in the past. For their part, they would be praying there in their cottage. And so they did. The pastor and others gathered in a barn. Those two ladies prayed in their cottage there. And for six weeks, they prayed fervently. And I'm not talking 24-7, or I'm talking, I remember two or three nights a, a week, they gathered for prayer. And they had been praying long before this. All right, so it wasn't just a, a six-week time, but it was for six weeks. And then one night, in the barn, there was a young man there who uh, stood and he, he addressed the group. He read from Psalm 24, who shall, shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, he who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. And the young man closed his Bible and he looked at the people there. And he said, it seems to me to be so much humbug to be praying as we are praying, to be waiting as we are waiting if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. And then he lifted his hands. He said, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And that was his 
far as he got because he fell on his knees and the story says he fell into a trance and laid there on the floor. And the pastor there said that at that moment the others were gripped by the realization that a a God-sent revival must be related to godliness, to holiness, and they all cried out, are my hands clean, or is my heart pure? And it was in that moment that it would later be referred to as the catalyst that let loose a power that shook the Hebrides. The man who is credited with stewarding the revival there in the Hebrides, Duncan Campbell, he was the guy that was standing in between the two sisters. We're going to come back to him in a, a minute or two. But he said this about that night. When that happened in the barn, the power of God swept into the parish. And just so to, to make this clear, parish, we, oftentimes in our culture, we think that's a church. Um, that in, in, in English culture, in British culture, that's actually the, uh, like a county. If you go to Louisiana, they don't have counties in Louisiana. They have parishes. So it's the same thing in that area, in that county, in that, that area, all right? So that's what, when, when that happened in the barn, the power of God swept into the parish and an awareness of God gripped the community such as hadn't been known for over a hundred years. And on the following day, the looms were silent. Little work was done on the farms as men and women gave themselves to thinking on eternal things gripped by eternal realities. You know, it seems to me that is the work of the Holy Spirit right there. But it came about as a result of people praying. You know, I first read that first part of the story It reminded me of a quote that I heard years ago uh, by a man named Martin Lloyd-Jones. When I first began preaching up until present day, honestly, I'm astonished at the number of people who quote Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He he passed away a couple of months after I graduated from Cosm. I didn't realize it at the time. But he left behind quite a legacy. Jones said this, when revival comes, the whole neighborhood is changed and moral conditions revolutionized. Read the stories. These are facts. Not only do individuals give up drink and so on, but public houses are shut and their businesses are ruined. There actually was a case in Northern Ireland a hundred years ago of a pub owner who was converted. He went to the meeting because all his customers had left him. There was no one to serve at his pub. So he went to the meeting saying, what is this nonsense? And there he was converted himself and became a preacher of the gospel. That is revival. When true revival happens, it affects the culture just like it did in the Hebrides, just like it did in in first century uh, Roman culture back then. But it happens when the Holy Spirit invades people's lives and that happens when people are seriously praying. So back in the Hebrides, the sisters suggested to their pastor that he should consider inviting a guest speaker. I know from experience that having a guest speaker kind of heightens the, uh, the, the, the uh, excitement, um, the, the, the expectancy, I guess, of, of what's going on. By the way, we're having a guest speaker in two weeks. Uh, sorry, just a little plug in there. But um, so, so he agreed. He, he invited a, uh, a guest preacher to come for a 10-day, I don't know what they called it, special effort, whatever. Um, and that guy said no. He turned him down. But he recommended a man named Duncan Campbell. And so the pastor invited Duncan Campbell to come for that 10-day special effort. And Duncan Campbell was there for more than two years. Slightly more, more than 10 days. Back when Duncan Campbell first went to the Hebrides, he was 50. He lived until 1972, four years before he went on to glory. He shared a lot of his story at a church and a message at the church. And that story has been transcribed. And I want to share 
Um, just what I'm going to share with you is just from the first night when he arrived, okay? I shall never forget the night that I arrived at the piers in the mail steamer. I was standing in the presence of the minister who I had never seen and two of the elders that I never knew. The minister turned to me and said, I know, Mr. Campbell, that you are very tired and you've been traveling all day by train to begin with and then by steamer, and I'm sure that you're ready for your supper and ready for bed, but I wonder if you would be prepared to address a meeting in the parish church at nine o'clock tonight on our way home. It will be a short meeting and then we will make for your lodging and we'll get, your, get you your supper and your bed and rest until tomorrow evening. Well, it will interest you to know that I never got that supper. We got to the church about quarter to nine to find about 300 people gathered. And I gave an address. Nothing really happened during the service. It was a good meeting, a sense of God, a consciousness of his spirit moving, but nothing beyond that. So I pronounced the benediction and we were leaving the church, I would say about a quarter to 11. Just as I'm walking down the aisle along with this young deacon who read the psalm in the barn, he suddenly stood in the aisle and looking up to the heavens, he said, God, you can't fail us. God, you can't fail us. You promised to pour water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. There's that scripture again. God, you can't fail us. Soon he is on his knees in the aisle and he is still praying and then he falls into a trance again. Just then the door opened. It is now 11 o'clock. The door of the church opens and the local blacksmith comes into the church and says, Mr. Campbell, something wonderful has happened. Oh, we were praying that God would pour water on the thirsty ground and floods upon the dry, uh, upon the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. There's that scripture again. And listen, he's done it. He's done it. When I went to the door of the church, I saw a congregation of approximately 600 people. 600 people. Where had they come from? That's not including the 300 that's in the church, Okay. I believed, I believe that very night God swept in Pentecostal power, the power of the Holy Ghost. And what happened in the early days of the apostles was happening now in the parish of Barvis. Over a young, hundred young people were at the dance in the parish hall and they weren't thinking of God or eternity. God was not in their thoughts. They were there to have a good night when suddenly the power of God fell upon the dance. The music ceased in a matter of minutes. The hall was empty. They fled from the hall as a man fleeing from a plague and they made for our church. They are now standing outside. Men and women who had gone to bed dressed and uh, men and women who had gone to bed rose dressed and made for the church. Nothing in the way of publicity, no mention of a special effort except an intonation from the pulpit on Sabbath that a certain man was going to be conducting a series of meetings in the parish covering 10 days. But God took the situation in hand. Oh, he became his own publicity agent. A hunger and a thirst gripped the people. 600 of them now are at the church standing outside. This dear man, the blacksmith, turned to me and said, I think that we should sing a psalm. And they sang and they sang and they sang verse after verse. Oh, what singing, what singing. And then the doors were opened and the congregation flocked back into the church. Now the church is crowded. A church to seat over 800 is now packed to capacity. It is now going on toward midnight. I managed to make my way through the crowd along the aisle toward the pulpit. I found a young woman, a teacher in the grammar school, lying prostrate on the floor in the pulpit, crying, Oh God, is there mercy for me? Oh God, is there mercy for me? She was one of those at the dance, but now she is lying on the floor of the pulpit, crying to God for mercy. That meeting continued until four o'clock in the morning. We're now talking seven hours after the first one started, all right? I couldn't tell you how many were saved that night, but I am sure of this and certain that at least five young men who were saved in that church that night are today ministers in the Church of Scotland, having gone through the university and college. At four o'clock, we decided to make for my place of lodging. You know, as a guest speaker, I'm thinking, yes, finally, okay. Sorry, it's just the things that go through my brain, okay? <clears throat> 
And just as I was leaving the church, a young man came to me and said, Mr. Campbell, I would like you to go to the police station. I said, the police station, what's wrong? Oh, he said, there's nothing wrong, but there must be at least 400 people gathered around the police station just now. Now the sergeant there was a God-fearing man. He was in the meeting, but people knew that this was a house that feared God. And next to the police station was the cottage in which these two old women lived. I believe that that had something to do with the magnet, the power that drew men. This is the moving of God's spirit. I believe in answer to the prevailing prayer of men and women who believed that God was a covenant-keeping God. As I am walking along the country road, we had to walk about a mile, I heard someone praying by the roadside. I could hear this man crying to God for mercy. I went over and there were four young men on their knees on the roadside. Yes, they were at the dance, but they are now crying to God for mercy. One of them was under the influence of drink, but that, that night God saved him and today is the parish minister, a man of God. Now, when I got to the police station, I saw something that will live with me as long as I live. I didn't preach. There was no need for preaching. We didn't even sing. The people are crying to God for mercy. Oh, the confessions that were made. There was one old man crying out, oh God, hell is too good for me. Hell is too good for me. This is Holy Ghost conviction. Now, mind you, that was on the very first night of the mighty demonstration that shook the island. Oh, let me say again, that wasn't the beginning of revival. Revival began in a prayer meeting. Wow. James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You might be more familiar with the, uh, the King James Version, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I like the NIV. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Those two elderly women were crying out to God. The pastor and other people in the church were crying out to God and their prayers were powerful and clearly effective. Duncan Campbell, that guest preacher, saw God move in powerful ways again and again during the two plus years that he was there for that revival. But the, the person I find most fascinating in this whole story is a young man named Donald McPhail. Donald was just 16 when the revival started. And he came into a saving relationship with the Lord under the preaching of Duncan Campbell. I've quoted a couple of times in my recent messages from a book, Dirty Glory, by Pete Gregg. Pete Gregg said this, there were times during the revival when Duncan Campbell's preaching was surprisingly ineffective and he would turn to Donald McPhail for prayer support. On one occasion, he was preaching, but his words were falling flat. Donald rose to his feet and prayed a single word with deep emotion. Father, he said. That was all, just two syllables. And the Holy Spirit came in power like a rushing wind. People began to cry out for salvation without another word being preached. Whew. Duncan Campbell himself talked about being on one of the other islands. And as he put it, I felt the going fearfully hard. Oh, it was difficult to preach. You felt your very words coming back and hitting you. And I was a bit distressed. And so he asked for, for Donald McPhail to come and pray there for these meetings. And so the very next meeting, Donald McPhail is there in the meeting. Duncan Campbell's preaching. He looks down, sees Donald uh, with his head bowed, his eyes closed, clearly fervently praying. And Duncan, the, 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 the preaching was still just as difficult. And so he asked Donald to stand and pray. And as Donald stood, uh, he had a vision. He saw this door open and he saw the, the lamb on the throne and he was holding the keys of death and hell. And Donald stood there and wept. For over a minute he wept and 
Then as he pulled himself back together, regained his composure, he lifted his eyes toward heaven and he cried out, God, there is power there. Let it loose, let it loose. And all of a sudden, the power of God fell on that congregation. All of the preaching of Duncan Campbell was of little value without the prayers of people like, as Duncan Campbell called him, little Donald McPhail. In fact, Duncan Campbell said this, I believe more souls were brought to Christ through that one lad's prayers than through the preaching of all the ministers from the island, me included. That's a pretty strong statement right there, especially coming from a preacher. And that night when when Donald McPhail stood and prayed, the thing that Duncan Campbell said was the most remarkable to him in the whole story is that when he stood and prayed, that the power of God swept through another village seven miles away. So in that village, seven miles away, mind you, there was not a single house where there was not at least one soul saved that night. I think maybe my, my favorite story of Donald McPhail during those revival years is the time that Duncan Campbell came to visit him. Now, Donald McPhail at this point, he's 17 years old. He's still living in his childhood home and he is in the barn praying. And Duncan Campbell is the guy who has brought him into the kingdom, if you will. So there's a respect there, okay? So Duncan Campbell goes to visit Donald. Uh, Donald's mother goes out to the barn to get Donald to come and see Duncan. And Donald says, please tell Mr. Campbell that that he shall have to wait because I'm having an audience with the king. How many of us take prayer that seriously? Wow. Duncan Campbell also talked about the power of prayer and the revival that happened in the village of Arnold. It's like our Arnold, only without the D, okay? Spelled the same, basically. Apparently all of the, before they they started the meetings, the local clergy had heard some wrong information about Duncan Campbell, said that he was really theologically not good, and so they told all of their people not to go to the meetings. Well, the meetings were packed, but it was from people from other villages all over the place that came. Nobody, nobody from Arnold. And Duncan Campbell realized that the, the, the remedy for this is prayer. And so he asked some people to come together for a prayer meeting. Well, it was a prayer meeting that ended up lasting several hours, And finally, at almost two o'clock in the morning, a man began to pray. And he said this, God, do you know that your honor is at stake? Do you know that your honor is at stake? You promised to pour water on the thirsty and floods on the dry ground. There it is again. And God, you're not doing it. There are five ministers in this meeting, and I don't know where one of them stands in your presence, not even Mr. Campbell, but I know But if I know anything at all about my own poor heart, I think I can say, and I think that you know that I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty to see the devil defeated in this parish. I'm thirsty to see this community gripped as you gripped Barvis. I'm longing for revival, and God, you are not doing it. I am thirsty, and you promised to pour water on me. And then he paused, and he cried out, God, I now take upon myself to challenge you to fulfill your covenant engagement. Wow. Anybody here ever prayed like that? As I read that, it reminded me of one of, I think, one of Jesus' craziest teachings that he ever did on prayer. 
In Luke chapter 11, he said this, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. He will answer from within, do, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. I kind of knew, but I looked up that word impudence in the dictionary just to make sure. And the first definition is offensively bold. I like that. The message translates that verse as, if you stand your ground knocking and waking all the neighbors, he'll finally get up and give you whatever you need. <laughs> the, the New Living Translation says, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameful or shameless persistence. Timothy Keller, in his book about prayer that I've quoted a couple of times in the last couple of messages, um, he, he talks about praying with importunity, persistence, especially to the point of annoyance. And he goes on to say this, if we overstress submission, that's kind of the opposite of praying with importunity, we become too passive. We will never pray with the remarkable force and arguments that we see in Abraham pressing God to save Sodom and Gomorrah or Moses pleading with God for mercy for Israel and himself, or Habakkuk and Job questioning God's actions in history. God apparently likes that kind of direct, impudent praying. That seems crazy to me, and yet it's right there in Scripture. So you might be wondering what happened in that prayer meeting in the Hebrides in Arnold and two o'clock in the morning as that guy, did it make any difference? Well, Duncan Campbell said when the man finished praying that the house where they were shook. Kind of reminds me of Acts 4.31 when the believers were praying for boldness in the house where they were shook. And he said that the meeting ended about 2.20 and Duncan Campbell was making his way to where he stayed and he says, and what did I see? The whole community alive, men carrying chairs, women carrying stools and asking, is there room for us in the churches? at 2.20 in the morning. <laughs> and it wasn't because of great preaching. And it wasn't because signs and wonders were happening right then and there, although they did apparently go on to happen. It was because people were praying, fervently and earnestly praying to God, praying offensively bold prayers, if you will. Psalm 130, the psalmist cries out, oh, the, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. That's what those folks in the Hebridean revival were doing. They were crying out to God for revival. You know, I heard the same thing when I interviewed people in, the, uh, in Estonia about the revival that happened there in the 1970s. That people were praying. They were crying out to God to see him move, serious, deep, heartfelt praying. That's what was going on. Pete Gregg in Dirty Glory said this, the Bible is clear that we're engaged in a vicious battle in which God's purposes are contested constantly. Prayer in which we harness our wills with God's will to resist Satan's will. I think that's a good definition right there. Prayer is our greatest weapon of defense as well as attack. People sometimes ask why God requires us to pray as if it were merely a form of relentless begging. Please, 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 in the tone of a child beseeching his father for a treat or a football fan that's soccer for us 
U.S. people, wishing like mad for a goal in the final minute. But to pray is to not plead with, from the sidelines. It is to invade the field of play. In prayer, we join the team, actively shaping the outcome of the match, challenging and occasionally outplaying an aggressive opponent. By, by praying, we're not just over on the side begging for God to do something. No, we're actively involved, causing things to happen through the prayers that we pray. So if we're serious about seeing God move, then we need to be praying more. Acts 10.34 tells us that God does not show partiality. What he did in the Hebrides is not reserved exclusively for that time and place. He wants to work through you and through me, just like he did the people there. Now you might be thinking, all right, that's nice, Tom, but that was 70 years ago. Does God still do that kind of thing? I recently read an event about a group of cooperating churches in New York City. They called it Jesus Week, and it culminated in a gigantic rally in Times Square on Saturday, June 29th. We're talking two weeks ago, okay? Planning for that event had started a year previous so at that point nobody was thinking that on that same day would be the culmination of the gay pride activities that were happening in New York City but it did happen to coincide and there were several other major events that were all happening that same day in New York City but only one in Times Square and that was this Jesus Week rally okay and everything was fine until late in the afternoon when Throughout that whole area, there was a torrential downpour. So much so that the mayor actually sent word to the Jesus Week rally people that they needed to shut down because the rain was headed their way. And so they prayed. Make a long story short, there was a short, mild drizzle in, town, in Times Square. They said it wasn't even enough to, to harm the literature that they had set out. But every other event in New York City was canceled because of torrential downpour. Central Park was evacuated. That never happens. Was evacuated because of the weather. But the Jesus Week rally went right on. And because of all the cancellations, here are all these people from all over the country, all over the world, who had no place else to go. Guess where they went? Times Square, and they heard the gospel preached. Pastor Daryl Harper said it like this. It was like Pentecost with many nations present. I had a number of people from other countries tell me that they were taking the material back to their country with them. One sister led a Buddhist to Christ who wanted a Bible after he received salvation. Sonia Cheresi said, we literally prayed with people from all over the world. I've personally met and prayed with people from England, Ireland, Palestine, South Africa, Germany, Switzerland, France, and Canada. Locally, I prayed with people from Michigan and the Carolinas, Virginia, and New Jersey. Another observer said this, there were already record numbers of New Yorkers, out-of-towners, and internationals in New York because of Pride Month. Many were rerouted to Times Square as a result of the storm. Like a good shepherd, God corralled all his precious ones into Times Square so they could hear and feel his passionate love for them. Those who were in charge of that event estimate that thousands of people came into the kingdom that day. 
two weeks ago, guys. God is still the same God, and he is still working in the same ways. Or how about a story that's closer to home? You heard about the revival that's happening at Fort Leonard Wood? Amazing story. Army chaplain Jose Rondon said, we have seen 1,459 soldiers come to Christ since March of this year. This was written in May. We're talking three months, almost 1,500 soldiers in that time. That's revival. The, the director of chaplaincy for the Baptist North American Mission Board, retired Major General Doug Carver said this, the Lord is answering our prayers for revival within our military communities. I've prayed for over 40 years for our troops and their families to experience the reality of Jesus Christ in a new and fresh way. And guess what? His prayers are being answered. Doug Carver, that Baptist director of chaplaincy, intentionally put himself onto the playing field by praying. I keep coming across these Crazy stories of God moving in miraculous ways, but they all have a common thread. There's people praying. Folks behind the scene are interceding for souls to be saved, for the Holy Spirit to be loosed, for, for, for God to move in powerful ways. People intentionally putting themselves on the playing field and praying offensively bold prayers. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, I'm starting to think that verse just might be true. As I prepared for this message, um, I just had this sense that God was gonna work in some hearts and minds here today. And so what I'm gonna do, instead of me just praying here at the end, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you to pray. Some of you just need to voice what's in your heart and I'm gonna break one of our rules. I'm just going to ask you to stay right where you're at. You don't need to come up here just for this next few minutes, okay? Just while you're praying. But um, please, if you're going to pray, pray loudly so we can all agree. But I just feel like there's people here that need to, to pray out as a result of what we just heard. Go ahead. Lord, may revival start with the repentance of your own people. We submit ourselves to you, and we ask that you would have your way in Jefferson County, that you would break the bonds of drug addiction and violence. Let people see what your power really is, what your love really is, what the power of your spirit is, what the fruits of your spirit are. Let us not hinder your falling in this place. Lord, I pray that you set our hearts on fire as you did your apostles. And Lord, I just thank you for all of the mighty acts that you do, even to, to, to this day, Lord Jesus. We praise and thank you for your mighty, awesome power. And Lord, we want to be for your power, not ours, Lord. We want to step in and, Lord, give us a burning in our hearts that we will want to pray over every situation. 
Lord, that our whole lives will be under your power.
It matters not if you're old or young or in between born. We just want to be able to be with you because you have the ultimate. You are all in all. We thank you, Lord. Thank you. Lord, we pray that you would inspire us by your spirit to be pray spirit-led prayers. Lord God, that we might pray your heart for this area. That we might agree with you not only for this area, but for this state, for the United States of America, Lord God. We need to see revival from coast to coast and from border to border. This country take me back to our uh, back to you, Lord God. Father God, you gave this land for this church. And it was confirmed by seeing of a buggy. But Lord God, you have ordained that this <laughs>
into your presence and find you and pray for the things that are, that are on your heart and that you are faithful to lead us in our prayers. You're faithful to lead us in right paths. You're faithful, Lord, to bring to pass the things that you promised to bring forth. Father, we are asking, we are crying out, we are humbling ourselves, and we are knocking at the door of who you are right now. And I ask, Father God, that you would speak to our hearts right now that which we need from you. Give us this day our daily bread in this context. Your words are like no other. And Father, I, I believe your promise that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Create in us a clean heart, O oh God. Create in us because you are creator. You made us. Create in us a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within us. Cast us not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from us. Restore unto us the joy of thy salvation and uphold us by thy free spirit. And Lord, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, you said that when we purge ourselves of these things, that you are the one who prepares us and makes us fit for the master's use, vessels unto honor. You're the one that makes us vessels. Shape us, mold us, transform us, consume us from the inside out, Lord. I pray for fresh wind and I pray for fresh fire, even now, to fall upon every heart, young, old, women, children, men. You're no respecter of persons, Lord. And I pray, take your rightful place in our hearts and do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or imagine. We pitch our tent, Lord, before you this day, and we will not be moved. We will not be shaken. You are great, and you are awesome, and you are merciful. You are merciful, Father. Do not give us according to what we deserve, but in your mercy. In your mercy, Lord, and by your mercy, we offer ourselves to you a living sacrifice. Consume us with that fire in the same way that that fire consumed Elijah's sacrifice. Consume us and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Father, just one more thing. You said that we're on the playing field. And you've been stirring in my heart that in this land, what we're seeing day after day, there is a spiritual war being fought. That hearts have been taken captive by the enemy. And I say enough. Enough. Enough with the hatred. Yeah, we see hatred against Trump, but no, that's far deeper than this. This is a holy hatred against you. Against the things of you, and there is an enemy who has been rampant, who has taken hearts captive. And Father, this day, we stand in the gap for this nation. We know what we deserve. But you are merciful. You are merciful. You 
deal with us according to our sin. But Lord, I pray in your great mercy, in the name of Jesus, we push back against the enemy. <coughs> Whether it's one or two, but Lord, you said one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. And we say today, there is more than two in this room who are gathered together in your name. And we push back against the enemy who has taken hearts captive. And we say, Holy Spirit, come in the same way this day because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we push back against the darkness in the name of Jesus. And we say, Holy Spirit, Flood the hearts and minds of people everywhere across this line, this land. Open the eyes of their understanding. The weapons of our warfare are mighty through you. They do work. They do. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And we pull down strongholds this day in the name of Jesus Christ. We say, fog be lifted. Darkness flee in the presence of Almighty God and Holy Spirit. You know what every heart needs. And corral, corral those sheep in the same way that we heard this day. We pull out every lie, every argument in the name of Jesus that would exalt itself against the knowledge of you. And right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, we bind the spirit of hatred that has come across this land in the name of Jesus Christ. We bind every evil spirit that has tried, that, has, that thought we have, we have are reigning and we're having our way. No, there is only one who reigns. There is one who rules. There was one who stands supreme. And you defeated the enemy at the cross. And you gave us authority over, added over serpents and lions and to push back against the enemy. We are more than conquerors through you who love us. And so, Lord, we bind every evil spirit that is taken captive in one form or another. Countless people across this land. And we loose you, Holy Spirit. And we speak life. We speak light. We speak truth. We speak repentance and for the light of your gospel to shine in the hearts of people across this land. We bind the mouths of the lions who have roared for way too long. We bind them in the name of Jesus Christ. And let the only roar that is heard be the roar of the lion of the tribe of Judah. In the name of Jesus. And Lord, we ask for your wisdom, your anointing, to pray effectively, fervently, in our sphere of influence, and for the way you guide us, to pray that our prayers will hit the target in accordance with your will and accomplish your purpose and your desire. We pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your name is great and greatly to be praised. We thank you, Lord, right now that your ears are attentive to our cries. And your, your eyes are open to your, to your children. And we give you praise, Lord, that no weapon formed against your people shall prosper. We pray that the weapons of the enemy be turned against the enemy himself, that the tables be turned, and that what the enemy meant for evil, you work for good. 
Father, do exceedingly, even now, abundantly, even now, above all that we can ask, think, or imagine. Open the eyes of our understanding, Lord, in the same way that the servant's eyes of Elijah were open. And let us see and let people see across this land that they that are with us are more than they that are against us. Father, we give you praise and we thank you, Lord, for you are mighty, you are awesome, and you are great, and you have given us the privilege to fight. In Jesus' name. Something that happened um, Friday. Uh, Shirley and I were going out shopping for me. Uh, I needed a a pair of dress slacks, and um, I ordered a pair online, and they didn't fit. So I said, "Let's go up to Arnold to the to the um, Goodwill store," and she said probably won't find anything because you know they don't have very good things and I said well God just guide us I pray I get a a nice pair of slacks that fit that look good and that are cheap so we went up and looked and looked through the rack and surely found a pair that looked nice I tried them on, they fit, and went to check out, and the girl said, it's, they're $4, and I thought, well, that's not bad, but she said, there's a yellow tag here, they're 75% off, so they're only a dollar, <laughs> and I said, praise the Lord, 
And we went out to the van, and I was sitting there, and I said, God, I said, you're so good. You know, you, you, know, you, you answered even a small prayer like that. God said, why wouldn't I? You're my child.